Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about D&D Essentials, Acquisitions Incorporated, the book, and Jordan has a TPK. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Hope you're ready for a Saturday morning. I bet you missed us last week. Yeah, I missed us last week. I was like, <laughs> I missed us. <laughs> so sad, and we're like, and uh, a little bit of grief for not doing a Saturday Morning D&D Show on free RPG day. Um, but yeah. it was fun for me to be able to go to Free RPG Day and pick up some cool stuff, uh, of which I picked up the my my store only allowed you to pick up one copy or one Free RPG. They supplement. They wanted to make sure that they had enough for everybody who showed up, and so I picked up the Kids on Bikes one, um, which mm-hmm. is really cool. And on the back of the Kids on Bikes one, they teased that they're working on a, a new game called Teens in Space. And I am, like, super excited for that, uh, using the same, like, rule set and stuff, but you're in space, and it's going to be all sci-fi and awesome. So that That'd should be, be really good. Yeah, that'll be really fun. And I have no idea. I couldn't find any more information on it other than there were a few tweets from the creators who were like, oh, cool, we can talk about it now. And then that's about all I've seen. Uh, but yeah. it said 2019, so I'm assuming maybe towards the end of the year that'll be released. Yeah, I love that show Lost in Space. And even the new reboot one they did on Netflix was really good. And that was cool because it was teenagers and young adults viewpoint of on some big space exploration and then something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Wow, what a cool adventure. If you have a rule set, you could play through something similar in that vein. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to play that. No, yeah, it's really awesome. So did you do anything for Free RPG Day? Did you end up going to your store or? Nope, nope. We were doing oh, you were, a camping event. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So you were out of town, which is yeah. why we didn't have a show. This is all coming back to me now. <laughs> it's yeah. all coming back to me so now. It was pretty good, but um, I, w- I was definitely thinking about the show all that day, thinking all the stuff we could be talking about or what games we had played, or I yeah. was already thinking about my next game that I was going to be playing on Monday. So D&D has definitely been on the brain in the last few weeks, which has been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess news wise, uh, I found this book um, today. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The, what? How did it just what? pop up? Oh, you have oh, like, what? yeah, it's like right there. So Acquisitions Incorporated, the Yay. merger between Penny Arcade and Wizards of the Coast is out. You can go pick it up mm-hmm. now. It was released uh, the 18th of June, I believe. Um, and uh, I got the the special edition one. So I ended up getting the, the Ack Inc green flame pin which is really cool i put it on my dice bag next to all my other pins uh i think my goal is to like cover my dice bag in like D pin paraphernalia so uh i'm really excited but have you dived into it have you read anything about acquisitions incorporated yet just a little a bit a tiny bit now i'm a huge fan of ack inc i've been watching the show mm-hmm. um that's been going on especially like c team stuff and i feel like as much as the original game is acquisitions incorporated this also feels really c teamish to me yeah also so i've just dove in really well and we've heard a lot about it 
up until now, but I have not read it cover to cover yet. I've been waiting to just sit down. It might happen today where I get to sit down and just read it from cover to cover because already I like read a paragraph and I, from just one paragraph, I was rolling around laughing and enjoying it so much because I love the humor that they write with. I love Penny Arcade's humor yeah, and Penny Arcade's humor is in this book, you know, so it's just so good. Um, I, I thought there was one or two things that stood out to me. So I thought I would, but what about you? How Have you gone from cover to cover already? Or have you just kind of flipped through and looked at different things? Are you about to ready to run an acquisitions Inc. campaign? <laughs> No, I read, I read most of it, except there's an adventure from one to six in there. And I did not read that because again, um, we were talking at my table of potentially running that adventure. Sorry, I have the hiccups, uh, potentially running that adventure. So I was like, well, I'll hold off and I'll read it later kind of a thing. So I read through all of this stuff, but, um, and it is set up to have you run a franchise of acquisitions incorporated in your game and literally any game you play you it could be focused on that or that could be like on the back burner but you're adventuring for a reason and one part of the adventuring is to acquire more loot and make yourself stronger and you do that in under the the guise i guess of this this corporate world um mm-hmm. What I really liked about it is that it doesn't have to be Acquisitions Incorporated. You could take a lot of these rules and a lot of this these uh, 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 proficiencies and apply them um, and then basically say, we're our own adventuring group and, and things like that. And so, I don't know. It was interesting. With Matt Colville's Strongholds and Followers coming out, the uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh boat stuff, and this has some things about creating basically mm-hmm. a home base – I think using all three of those books, you could create, you could use those books as a really good tool set to creating like a home base. Or in my case with Ghosts of Saltmarsh, maybe my players inherit some kind of a ship and that is their home base. And then they, they travel out from there. And so I want to use a lot of this stuff and it has like, it has like uh, upkeep, like this is how much money it takes to, to uh, keep your place going and things like that. And to staff it. Um, there's lots of, lots of cool things. And then there's new backgrounds, there's a new mm-hmm. race. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Verdun. Yeah, yep. the Verdun yep. or Verdun. Uh, I didn't know that there was a new race until I bought the book on D&D Beyond and I was flipping through and I'm like, what is this? And then I was reading mm-hmm. about it and it sounds really cool. Uh, makes me want to listen to uh, the C team. So I actually started yeah. from the beginning of the C team and I'm on episode like seven or eight. I've got like way too much to listen to, but I was like, now mm-hmm. I'm really kind of sad that I didn't keep up with the C team because there's like yeah. a lot of inside jokes in this book that um, mm-hmm. I can tell that that's a joke or that's like a nod to something. And it's, it's kind of over my head. So I was like, yeah. Oh, I, I, anyway, but I'm enjoying the C team. Cause I remember you were saying that uh, you're like, give it, get past the first like two or three episodes and then it really picks up yeah. and you are correct. Uh, yeah. Jerry is a really great DM and the show really picks up. If you just kind of let them figure each other out and get, get the rest of the show kind of figured out. Cause they were new to streaming yeah, I, and stuff. Yeah. I talked to some friends that had watched like just the first episode and he starts off the C team in a very Alice in Wonderland, very, even for Dungeons and Dragons, kind of very weird place. Like you're not quite grasping and, and latching on to what the reality is here. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going on and it seems very odd. But once you get past that and you find out the little, the hook to what those first two or three episodes are about, 
And then it moves into a regular Dungeons and Dragons campaign, kind of set in the Forgotten Realms, as viewed by Jerry Holkins. Yeah. <laughs> it's it just gets better and better. He is a master storyteller. And he's taken this with humor and the ability. He's just a, a crazy wordsmith, too. Like when you listen to him describe things. He describes things like nobody else describes things. And it just is very evocative and a very different style to look at. And I think the thing I loved about it is it showed not only is there the Mercer style, the Jerry Holkins style, the Adam Coble style, the Matt Colville style. It just helped reinforce that there's so many different types of D&D Dungeon Masters styles that it let me be more comfortable about what my style might be. And it might be a hodgepodge of different things, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to be like any one of those people. There's no right way to do it. There's just, there's many different ways that you can run these games. And I think it's really cool. I was thinking too, I obviously I want to jump on anybody that wants to run a campaign that's act Inc and have a player who wholeheartedly wants to dive into, I want to be part of a, acquisition incorporated franchise like i buy into the whole thing i buy into the corporate humor i i want to i as a player i would love to do that but as a dungeon master i was thinking about flipping it a little bit using the material but have it be the bad guys are an act inc franchise that somehow bump into the normal dungeons and dragons party or they get hired as proxies, not knowing who they're working for, when in reality they're working for a franchise. So they mm-hmm. meet the different people that it's all NPC-based, and it's kind of all things they interact with, even if they're not part of the franchise, but they're working for the franchise, or they're contractors that the franchise brings on. Or you know, come at it from that kind of angle, too, where it's mostly the NPC stuff. But I think that'd be cool, too, of a way to put that in there and have it bump into your normal tropes of, adventuring parties there's so much in here i just one thing that i thought was even funny just sums the whole thing up they go back they go through and they talk about the classes and how you might twist or change them or flavor them just slightly enough to make them feel like they're in this the same kind of world that jerry's kind of presenting to us in this corporate world corporate fantasy and the first one starts with barbarians in the corporate world and it's like they have a picture of the corporate barbarian and it's just like you know, he's got his shirt and his tie, but he's got his ax. I'm just thinking, this is the funniest thing ever. And that's that's just even a little bit about what's in this book. There's vehicle rules in the book. There's a new race, like you said, backgrounds. There's an adventure. I mean, you get everything you can. New spells, new magic items. It's it's yeah. chock full of stuff. So, And the spells are funny where it's like one of the spells is like inflate price. And you cast mm-hmm. something on an item to make it look better than it is so you can sell it for a higher uh, cost, more gold than, than it's worth. And I was like, that's yeah. funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just like little little things that if you really want to be – if you really want to be the treasurer of Acquisitions Incorporated, maybe you're a wizard and you take that spell mm-hmm. or you're a bard or something. And so you, you gloss up everything before you sell it. Uh, I liked that a lot. It's really cool. I like that the yeah, I like that the it's a collaboration between Wizards of the Coast and the Akink team. So in the credits they talk about how both groups, both companies kind of came together to build the book. It lists Mike Krahulik as one of the art directors. So he's one of the people that definitely were in there and he did the cover art. Mm-hmm. So if you like his artwork, it's right on the cover there. And you know, all the different writers that are there. They talk they even list the full cast 
incorporated cast. Ben wins on the cast. That's pretty good. I know a lot of people were, we talked a little bit about that in a previous show. Um, it's got all the people that they have listed there. Jeremy Crawford, Christopher Perkins as the Dungeon Masters. So pretty cool. All in all, 224-ish, 25-ish page book. Um, it felt big enough to me to give you the real kind of feeling of an acquisitions incorporated world. I think if it was a different world completely than his version of forgotten realms, it might need to be a, a tiny bit bigger, but I think this just flavors forgotten realms the way you need it. So you can still use forgotten realms materials and all the stuff that gives you information about all these other locations, but then use this to flavor it. And it's probably the perfect size for, for yeah. that. Buy the sword coast adventures guide in this and you're good yeah. for like a, Ack Inc. Forgotten Realms, you know, like the main headquarters is in Waterdeep and you know where Waterdeep is and you know how to navigate around the Sword Coast and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I thought it was interesting too. I saw Matt Coville and I just went and checked my mailbox because I got a message from Coville, MCDM Productions, shipping has started. So we yep. may be getting our physical books within the next day or so. Maybe some people have it. They Maybe do, I'm yeah. Still- There's some people on Twitter that have been posting that they got their books yeah. and stickers and stuff. So yeah, I'm excited so for I'm, that. I'm- anxiously looking for that but he he put up a i didn't even put it in our show notes but i thought maybe i'd throw it out there he put a very interesting tweet out earlier this week that said has wizards of the coast released an official campaign book yeah and he Uh, said it's not a trick question have they released an official campaign book like a campaign setting book right I would say Sword Coast Adventures Guide and Ravnica, but... That's what they all kind of said, but what's the official one? But whereas Sword Coast isn't all of Faerun, or it's right. not, there is no Forgotten Realms yeah, there campaign isn't. book, which was very interesting. So he was wondering, like, if you were going to try to tell a new player, here's the, the default campaign, and here's the book that tells you all about the campaign world of Dungeons & Dragons, where is it? And mm-hmm. I thought that's interesting that they haven't done it because they've gotten away from mostly campaign books and described their default campaign through their adventures. Though, even in the adventures, they say, you can use this in Forgotten Realms, you can use this in Aberon, you can use this in whatever. So I thought it was an interesting change to see that because he was looking for an actual Forgotten Realms campaign book, and there isn't one at the moment, which is interesting. We're how many years in, and there's no Forgotten Realms campaign book. But I wonder if it's the same thing with like those Eberron books where the older books still work for fifth edition, as long yeah. as you have the fifth edition races and classes and things like that. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. innately forgotten realms that, that needs a, I mean that campaign, you can buy a third edition forgotten realms campaign setting or the second edition Al-Kadim Zakara setting and, and, and you get everything you need to run a game in there because you get cities and you get, you know, jobs and NPCs and things like that. You just have to slightly tweak them to make it work with fifth edition. But I mean, I did that. Like I, I set my players in the desert and took them to Al-Kadim and stuff. And that was really fun. Well, and we know that's kind of Keith Baker's look on it, but I don't know if that's necessarily their look. on it. Yeah. And I don't know, but uh, you're right. I don't know, but I think that that information is still there and, and those books are still available yeah, as PDFs for sure. Yeah. So. But it was interesting when he asked, point me to the book or the release yeah. of it. And I thought that was, and if we said, 
we could say Sword Coast, right? It, but that's such a small area yeah. of Forgotten Realms in reality. When you look at it's like one small corner of a of a northern coast, and there's so much more out there that we just we have to go back to the old material to check on. Mm. Um, it's interesting that we haven't touched on a lot of those other places yet. So I just I thought it was interesting because there was a lot of people that were were going back and forth. I put in there, you know what the actual what my response to him was is the Dungeon Master's Guide. And I quoted the paragraph out of the Dungeon Master's Guide that says the Dungeon Master's Guide is how you choose your campaign. Mm-hmm. It talks about what type of campaign you want to choose, what are the some of the cho- what are the choices you might have if you're going to make one of your own or if you're going to use one that's already been established in the past. So really the Dungeon Master's Guide I think became the campaign book and we miss that. We all keep thinking as the Dungeon Master's Guide, like the old Dungeon Master's Guide, is a bunch of rules and how to run the game. But in reality, the DMG is mostly about how to create campaigns or choose the campaign you want to run. So really, to me, it was the Dungeon Master's Guide. So I sent that to him. I didn't get a response back from him, but I thought that was my interesting response. Then, that if you want an official campaign book, it really is the Dungeon Master's Guide these days. Yeah. So, to make Because go own. back, especially as a Dungeon Master who not thinking of it from the idea of I want to know the rules, but go back and read the Dungeon Master Guide page page by page as a, hey, I'm thinking about building a campaign. How should I do it? Then it becomes really interesting read. Like when I first read it, I was like, where's the rules? How do I know how to do grappling? How do I know, you know, all these weird things? And none of that stuff was in there. That was all in the player's handbook. So Yeah, it's a lot of roll tables. Um, I made a video a long time ago about... Uh, how, like, if your players are like, I want to play D&D, and, and you're like, okay, we've got four hours, give them the player's handbook, they go and roll up characters, while they're rolling up characters, you grab the Dungeon Master's Guide, and you can, and there's roll tables in there to roll mm-hmm. up a whole session of D&D, and you can, like, okay, you're in the forest, there's giants, there's bugbears, they're after a staff, there's a, a hill that has a crypt in it, I think we can play a game. And you just kind of go from there. And I thought, yeah, so it's a it's a huge resource if you're looking to create scenarios and stuff. But a lot of people don't. I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure if the amount of people that tap into it. But, like, I personally don't tap into it as much as I could, I guess. Yeah, because I think a lot of I people kinda, miss it because, yeah. yeah, they thought it was one thing. And so they set it aside because it wasn't the thing they thought they needed at the moment. But they don't remember to go back to it and say oh but it is this thing so when right. i'm doing that when i'm building a campaign it was good and i've been going back to it quite recently fleshing out my campaign and using some of the things in it it's just interesting and i'm using campaign books like i'll grab something out of pack inc or i'll grab something out of any of the other you know ravnica stuff that i think is fun and pull it into my campaign i really am enjoying and embracing the idea of grabbing things i like and throwing them into my big stew pot of a campaign i'm running where i can just Mm -hmm. do anything i want i mean it's just every single time i think oh maybe i'm constrained and i can't do that i realize no i'm not i can do anything i want (laughs) i can do anything in this campaign it's really cool so that's the cool thing i think everybody i as a recommendation i'll probably do a video on it but i'm starting to feel like a lot of my comments kind of called me out on it too it's like they say hey every time you do a D &D book review you say everybody should buy it and i'm like (laughs) i know um there's not been any I don't like. I don't know what to say. I mean, I love the books. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. So maybe it shouldn't be a review. Maybe it should just be how much I like this book, you know, yeah, and let yeah. people do whatever they want to do. The other thing that was out, and I saw a Twitter picture of um, 
I was thinking of Bad Eye. Uh, what's oh, what's his name? Adam Adam Bradford, who works for D and D Beyond. He had a picture of him picking up his D and D essentials off the shelf at Target. Though I know a few of our uh, followers here, like Cyberwolf, went out and tried to find it at his Target, and it wasn't out yet. It's supposed to be out on Monday, yeah, officially. But apparently, it's been out on some shelves, so some people can find it. I might run out and try to see if I can find it because I definitely want the D and D essentials. The more I read about it, the more I see what's in it. It does have the D and D beyond thing in there. He took a picture of it because it says, Hey, look, our D and D beyond logos on the thing. And I thought that that was pretty funny. I didn't realize they were affiliated with it in some way, but they are, they have their, their brand is on it. Is it cause it's sealed that you get, uh, the adventure or something with D and D beyond, I wonder, or does it come I, bundled? I don't in? even know. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I, I want to buy it to find out what their involvement is. Cause they're, they are a separate company. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily this. They're not wizards of the coast. Um, so it is interesting. So, but I'm excited for that D and D essentials. Uh, we've been talking about it quite a bit. It has, um, a new adventure, that is a new starter box. I'm surprised they call it D&D Essentials. That was the one thing that threw me off. Because if I felt like I'm a new person, and here's the funny thing, I'll say this, I'll say this. I'm a new person in Dungeons Dragons and I go and I'm going to look for the thing I need to buy so that I can play because I'm brand new and I want to get my brand new friends who've never played either into it. And I know a lot of people in our audience are being like, what are you talking about? We all have been playing, we know about this. But the reality is Dungeons and Dragons has never been brought to more new people than right now. Mm-hmm. There are more new people who've never played coming into the hobby than there ever was in any other time before now. So there's a large number of people that will go to a store shelf look at all the D&D products and have to say, okay, I want to try this. I need to grab one of these things to do it. What do I grab? So previously they've been grabbing the, probably the box set, the starter set, which makes sense. It says starter set. So somebody might say, okay, that's where I should start. D&D essentials. Does that kind of seem to you like, oh, I should grab that because that's how I should start. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird word essential because it's like is this essential to everybody's collection kind of a thing and so i get what you're saying um but i also understand that they don't want to do numbers they don't want like player's handbook two player's handbook three because then people go in and they're like well do i get the the latest version of the player's handbook the third one they're like no no no, you should get player's handbook one and it's like but i is that you know and people were confused so they got away from numbers um Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's i think it's a logical next step from the starter set though like if you play the starter set uh, you could either buy this to get another like fun adventure um rather than crafting your own maybe you're not ready for a out of the abyss or a tomb of annihilation or a curse of strahd and so this is kind of like Mm -hmm. the next step for that um but But what i'm most what i'm most excited about is that we get another chris perkins adventure like i like chris perkins writing i like his stuff and so that was what i was most excited about the essentials kit is that we're getting a a new chris perkins adventure something that he worked on and he's just a really talented writer and stuff so it it makes good Mm -hmm. adventures yeah yeah but it is an adventure set that's one to six just like the starter set so if Mm -hmm. your guys are sixth level it's going to be a little weird to, to pick up the essentials, though he says you can, and they built it that way. The other thing that was interesting about it is I feel like the way they mentioned it is they want it to be the new starter set. Yeah. Though you can use it in conjunction, and it was built to help a DM run a game, a new DM. Mm-hmm. The other uh, starter set was not 
um it was more for players i think than yeah well i think it was it was more like a regular adventure with pre-made character sheets because mm-hmm. in the starter set you didn't even have the rules to make a new character in D essentials they put the rules to make a character four of the classes make a new character in the set right in the book it's one of the pamphlets and then the other pamphlet is hey mr dungeon master i know you're brand new but here's this thing and here's these things we're going to take all these players on and it's going to be fun and great here we go you know let's let's start this right out it's got the dice in it it's got cards for magic items and all this other stuff so i feel like it was a really more complete box that it's the perfect starter set now mm-hmm. um, so i'm excited to get it um even if i i feel like the name is a little off-putting maybe people will figure it out maybe just by word of mouth people will say hey what should i go buy if i want to get into D? my answer is going to be go get D essentials mm-hmm. start there with your brand new party or your family members that you decided to talk into playing use that and if you love it and they love it then come back to me and i'll tell you all kinds of cool stuff and, and that you can go get and buy what's cool and, and with that i think that's my new go-to here's where i think you should start um or because previously to that, it was go buy the player's handbook and you pretty much could play the game with nothing but the player's handbook, technically. If if you were a DM who was willing to go out and find monster stat blocks and build your own quick adventures, mm-hmm. um, then you could just have the player's handbook and be good to go. So I think it was very interesting. I think um, I'm excited to look at it. I still want to try out. I'm still going to find somehow. I don't know when because Jordan's uh, schedule is super busy but trying to play this one-on-one version that they say you can do with yeah. sidekicks, which I think would be super interesting and fun um, to chew a one-on-one session. So I think that'd be cool. So that's out. Hopefully you guys go out and get it if you yeah. like it. Um, and if Lucian picks it up, we'll probably talk more about it next week yeah. uh, when we can actually crack it open and, and get to know what's going on with it. So, Yeah, I'll find out if what how D&D Beyond is involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, and I noticed you kind of tweeted out that you had finally upped your subscription or you got a full, you did something with D&D Beyond recently. Yeah, I, I bought that. the source book bundle and a... A $200 bundle? Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I finally was just like, so I was buying um, a few little books to make a couple characters. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know what? I, I really am using this a lot. Um, I'm just going to do it. So I went and bought the source book bundle and got the subscription for a year to be able to make unlimited characters. And so then I was like building a bunch of characters and stuff like that. Um, and it's fun because I can use it at work and I can have all of the books online at work, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Instead of like having a character idea, writing it down on a slip of paper, coming home, digging through my books to like make a character. I just kind of, basically I'm not working while I'm at work because I'm D&Ding while I'm at work. But uh, no, I didn't buy any of the adventures, although I was tempted to get Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and maybe I will, because it would be kind of cool to have that book to reference while I'm prepping games and stuff, have it online. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I took the plunge. I was just like, I'm going to I'm gonna try this out. And I did. And now I know no regrets. I'm just going to dive in and keep going. <laughs> <laughs> It is a fun, it is a great resource. I feel like I'm at that position now that I'm spending a lot of money on Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. in the last year or two, because if you split it off with physical books that you're buying, 
um, if you're buying stuff for Roll20 so that you can play your games and campaigns on Roll20. And then I'm buying stuff for D&D Beyond because I like to have that if I go and sit at a table or I like to have it on my iPad or whatever and I keep character. Um, there's just a lot of ways to spend money on Dungeons and Dragons all of a sudden. And it's getting, it feels like it's getting expensive for me. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Yeah, I could see that. I, I really like it because it doesn't allow me to cheat when I make characters, like accidentally cheat. Because mm-hmm. sometimes like I'll be like, oh, I get this ability and I get this ability and you put them together and you do this. And then with D&D Beyond, I built a couple of characters that I had previously built for other games. And they were just like, oh no, you can't do that. And then things that I forgot about where they're like, you actually have tool proficiencies in these three tools that I'm like, oh, I didn't even write down tool proficiencies on my other character. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It's It's... It's a fun playground, and my players, three of my players use D&D Beyond at the table on their phones for their characters, and I might try it in the game that I'm in and actually use D&D Beyond, but, uh, you know, I'm playing a lot more, I want to play a lot more online games, and I like the idea Mm -hmm. of having my character on the screen in front of me, rather than, like, the printed one that I drew, you know, that I wrote out, and I'm trying to, like, like, I just like that, and and I can, it automatically does a bunch of stuff for me, so I think for Jordan, it was the right purchase. You know, I'm a D&D fanatic. I'm going to do more online stuff. It kind of just made sense. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun building, like, random characters and just trying out things. And if we do this Acquisitions Incorporated game or, I don't know, I've got, like, three or four characters that I want to play now in in the <laughs> future. So, If you got some time, I'll run a game for you. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready well, to you'll, you'll find out why when we get to our news part because one of my shows dropped off. So. Oh, no. <laughs> So I, I got an open slot to start doing something, which is a good thing because that means I can do some other stuff then. So uh, it's bad and it's Yeah. Other we'll other we'll things in news though is uh yeah. I guess we can touch on this briefly. So Descent into Avernus is apparently a prequel to Baldur's Gate three, but it yeah. and there was and this would have been hyped up more if it was a natural transition. Like if you played mm-hmm. Descent into Avernus and then afterwards, it just transitions directly into Baldur's Gate 3, like a direct transition. I feel like that would have been hyped up more. I think what they're actually saying is that there is a timeline to the Forgotten Realms, and Descent to Avernus is going to be before the events of Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, because a lot of people were just like, oh my god, there's a there's a tabletop tie-in to a video game. And I'm like, I don't think that's exactly what it is. I think they're just going along with the timeline of the Forgotten Realms. Um, mm-hmm. but we'll see when those come out. So I don't know. Well, and I think it's from a story perspective, I think it'll make sense where they're going to pick up Baldur's Gate three and what they're going to be doing with some of the historical things that are happening just before that we're going to descent into Avernus is going to be, you know, is going to give us some information on that. And I guess it'll be their take on how somebody went through that adventure. Like somebody must've gone to Avernus did whatever and came back probably. And now we're at the aftermath of that with the Baldur's Gate three game. See, I don't think that's affected, but I don't don't think they're going to be connected story-wise like that, but who knows? Like I could very well be wrong, but if I had to put money on it, I would say that it's just that this thing happened. And then chronologically, this thing is happening. And maybe when you play Baldur's Gate three, there's going to be like some subtle nods to descent into Avernus, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, and the storyline is about Zeriel. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if more storyline continues in Baldur's Gate 3 about Zeriel. 
I don't know. Yeah. We don't know what it's going to do yet. We don't know what the game is. It's going to be interesting. I wasn't a big Baldur's. I played Neverwinter Nights back in the day. That was the one I liked. Um, yeah, that's the one I liked too. That was the one I liked the most. Though I dabbled in the other ones, but I'm, I'm sure I'll probably dive into Baldur's Gate 3 and see see how that one goes just because I'm on the big D&D kick. Because, you know, I'm already buying the books and D&D Beyond and Roll20. <laughs> Why not buy the digital games too? <laughs> Why not? Why not? You know? I, I got money just flowing everywhere, apparently. <laughs> and then um, they there was a weird Kotaku article where Mike mm-hmm. Merles was basically saying, like, because of the events, because of Baldur's Gate 3 and trying to make the ranger be fun in that game, they were talking about fixing the ranger. And so it was like everyone was freaking out, like, oh, they're going to, like, revise the ranger again. And then Jeremy Crawford came out on Twitter and said, no, I'm not. Um, Mike Merles was a little confused. We're actually doing this and this and this. He didn't say Mike Merles was confused, but everyone, it kind of felt like that was the case. So everyone's like, are you doing it? Are you not? But it looks like the Ranger will get some more subclasses, just like all the other classes will get some more, um, extra things that you can pick and choose from, but they're not, Mm -hmm. they're not changing the fifth edition Ranger is according to Jeremy Crawford, but that was a rumor that was floating around for a little bit. So, and I still feel like they don't believe the ranger is broke. No, and it as isn't broken. As, it's how people yeah. are playing. So the ranger was supposed to capitalize on that exploration side of the game. Unfortunately, most DMs are like, you're in a desert. You crossed the desert. Okay, that took four days. It was really tough, but you guys got through the desert. Well, then why did I choose a ranger that's his special... Uh, tundra is desert you know like why Mm. did i choose all of this stuff that makes me really good at the desert if we don't even get to play in the desert and that's the problem is that dungeon masters are just hand waving travel when the ranger really succeeded at aiding them in travel so it's i see both sides and really you should play the game however you want to play the game but like yeah it makes the ranger a little weaker if he doesn't get to do these cool rangery things so, or right. like, actually we had a ranger in hot Springs Island and he said, because this is my, uh, preferred terrain, um, I have no trouble finding food. I have no trouble finding water. So we ended up just getting rid of all of the, like, uh, you guys need rations and you need this because he was able to just automatically do that because of, it was his, uh, terrain, his favorite terrain. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. That was a situation where I'm like, actually, because you have a ranger, we're not doing these extra cool things that we could be doing, you know? (laughs) Right. Well, and it takes away some of the idea of it being tough to adventure. If you have people that are like, cause my groups will do it too. They'll, they'll have their ranger. We'll pick the favored land of the area. We're going to be in for the campaign. Like if we go to Chult, somebody picks jungle Yeah. or they'll do the other thing with the Druid picks good berries. So we never have to worry about food and water. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of get rid of that. And I realize a lot of game, a lot of people don't want to play games where they track that kind of stuff, but then you never, I feel like you never get the feeling of how hard it is to travel in a jungle if if we're just hand waving all that stuff and we're never yeah. dealing with it. So I always think there's a, a weird balance there of what do I want to do, but what do I want to keep fun, what's not fun as far as keeping track of things like rations. Are you keeping track of rations in your in your salt marsh game right now? No. 
Uh, yeah, because it's just it's yeah. never been an appeal to me. I'm like I and they they return back to town so much that I'm kind of like you guys took enough rations for like the three days you're going to be out adventuring, but you're going to return back to town. I am doing lifestyle costs though, so if they want to take a week of downtime because of whatever their lifestyle is, they'll have to pay like two gold, one gold, one silver to to uh to have that uh daily so like if i basically i'm like if you guys want to take a week of downtime to craft potions to do this to to do downtime activities it's going to cost you money because i didn't want them to just like not have a money drain i guess right so, that was, but we yeah, haven't really yeah, gotten yeah, to that yet drain. but i was like if you get back to salt marsh and you want to do downtime activities it, it costs you extra money so so it'd be interesting. Not that, I, and I built a ranger using the book, player's handbook, Beastmaster Ranger, and I thought it was fun to play. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I never felt like any of the other characters were more powerful than me. Um, I felt pretty good playing it. So I don't feel like, I, I feel like it's something that could be adjusted or made a little bit better, but I don't feel like it's broken. Yeah. Right. And uh, I know we've talked about it in many, many episodes about where we stood on, you know, where it's at. And I, if they buff it, I'm good with that too, because I love a pet class anyways. And if they leave it the way it is, I felt like I I was able to play a pretty good, Mm -hmm. I played a gnomish ranger that was really fun. And I just thought I had a really good time playing it. And in some ways playing the fish out of water character is pretty fun. I'm the desert ranger, but Hey, we're going to the jungle. So now Mm -hmm. I'm really out of my element. I could role play that up. Sounds fun to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, other than that, I did notice an article. I always keep an eye out. And when I see an Eberron article, I always say, oh, I'm going to throw that in the notes for Jordan because I know how much you love Eberron. <laughs> I did notice a really in-depth article talking about the elves of Eberron by Keith Baker. And not only did he kind of go back in and start talking about what the elves of Eberron are and the history, but he also kind of answered questions about several sources of other Eberron information that may have seemed like it conflicted, but he kind of cleared up how it didn't necessarily conflict and how it actually does work. Cause there's like a book called, um, there were two other sources people were asking about. He has a big Q and a at the bottom of the article. Maybe what we'll do is in the, in the notes, we'll post the, the actual piece. But what I thought was interesting is for a person who has created has had the lucky chance to create their campaign and D supported it and has published it he's went back and said here's some stuff like we don't get q and a's with um the people that have created forgotten realms we don't get q and a's with gary gygax these days anymore because you know for greyhawk um but it's cool that keith baker's out there saying yeah here's some if you want to know about this stuff here it is and i just thought it was interesting i was trying to find what those two books were there was the um Although Ed Greenwood is very active on Twitter, and if you ask him cool Forgotten Realms questions, he, he usually answers. He's really oh, cool. does he? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna He's have to really start following. Cool. Yeah. Something about the Dragon Shard article has a lot of information. If you're looking about for information on um, elves, and there was some other. I want to find the book because I was wondering if you had read this book or not. Mm, maybe um, I don't know. And now I can't find it. I should have put it in the notes. But something about Ion Eberron article. No, that's not it. I thought there was another book out there. Something about like the magic of Eberron or MOE. 
I think was the abbreviation I was seeing. So I didn't know there was a, another big source book out there besides the Eberron source book. Like how many source books did they do for, because it was in fourth edition. Third and fourth edition. Out, right? They made they made a couple of adventures, I think, and then two large source, book, source books for third and fourth edition. So there it is. Magic of Eberron was a book. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it was. And there was a bunch of information in there that people were looking at, but it conflicted with some other, articles that had gotten put out or at least people thought they did and he mm. goes and clears up how it how it did oh, like the okay. war between the elves and the giants and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that so very interesting if you're into eberron i've not um got into an eberron campaign yet but now that i've kind of read his idea on the elves it's definitely an interesting take on the elves i didn't even realize because i never even have played an eberron campaign yeah i really like i think it was goblins were like they're not like disgusting low intelligence creatures that live in caves um in eberron goblins uh once had a huge civilization um and so it really it is it's very different than forgotten realms like it's not and i like that a lot about eberron is that the the, Mm -hmm. everybody's just different elves are different so um not everybody's just living in the woods being a happy elf or living underground being a drow they they live on on their own private island and things like that and it's cool so Mm -hmm. Well, we've got 20 minutes left, Lucian. What did you do in games? Can we do it? Yeah, well, and, and we played two games. We played two we weeks two worth of games, games. yeah. Uh, so I'll keep mine pretty as short. Um, Monday nights have been my Seeking Revenor, which has restarted again. Yay. I've got a really fantastic group of players um, that are diving into Port Bastion has been destroyed and being rebuilt. The, they know all the forces that are arrayed around them. They're just having to pick which ones to go after first, right? Because they can't do it all. So mm-hmm. I really like this idea that there's a lot going on and they have to make choices. And those choices will be good because they'll stop one thing from happening, but it's also going to allow some other things to happen. So it's like, I love this really intricate web that I've weaved in the background um, of this. We played a couple two. Another thing that just constantly surprises me, I threw at them three or four CR3 creatures. So, and they're all level four. So I had four players, fourth level. Normally, even one four CR4 would be a, a creature that could take on, you know, a fourth level party. Yeah. Um, maybe a couple of CR3s, but maybe not. Maybe like a CR3 and some other stuff mm-hmm. could take on a four. I threw four CR3s at them and they, they had a hard fight, but they beat them. And they, these these adventuring parties are powerful. It is so crazy how they're able to pull stuff off. Um, and it's really interesting. It's been happening to me a lot, and it's happening to the DM that I'm playing with quite a bit too. My roles in every single game I play start hot and to the point that my players are like, oh, my God, we're TPKing. This is it. It's it. This is it. We're over. And then by round three – my my roles go cold completely cold and the players roles just start hitting their 20s and they start hitting their big stuff and all this stuff's going on and their roles are really good and they pull it off but at the end of it they always think like i'm trying to kill them because in that very beginning my roles are so hot and theirs are so bad that it feels like oh he's just trying to kill us he's just trying mm-hmm. to get us the dice that are doing it and it's weird because it's never different it's always i roll really good in rounds one and two and then all rounds after that, I roll terribly. Like, I won't even get a character. I won't damage a character. Nothing seems to work right. But in rounds one and two, I I hammer them. Like, I send a guy down to, like, one HP in one shot 
type stuff happens and they're just like, Oh my God, we're going to die. We're going to die. And then it all turns around. So it's still funny to me how swingy the game is, how the dice can really affect everything that's going on, no matter what you're thinking about doing. And CR is out the window for me at this point. My, my party is a group of veteran players who know how to synergize their skills know how to maneuver know how to make things happen using the environment they're very tactical and strategic and they are just a double cr at this point i have to throw double cr at them (laughs) even to make it tough so it's been fun um they also are now going into my one of my in this revenar area i have set up two dungeons one mega dungeon one mini dungeon, which is the one they're going to now, about a three-level kind of dungeon, and then one big open city map that's kind of like a dungeon, but it's like a, an own ruined city, mm-hmm. and it's going to be like a dungeon, but it's all on one level-ish kind of thing. And so they're tackling the three-level one, so it's fun to to create um, this really concise. It's a monastery on the top. There's something going on in the bottom, and then there's something going really bad at the very bottom. So a nice three-level thing. Very Diablo-esque. Very inspiration has been pulled from Diablo. So a lot of demons, a lot of devils and skeletons and undead stuff, but also some cool things. And not only did I pick up that Act Inc. book, just to throw them a few curveballs, I picked up Tomb of Beasts from um, uh, Cobalt Press. And I'm looking through here at all these crazy cool characters that they have are going to have no idea what they are because <clears throat> I am playing with a group that knows the monster manual backwards and forwards. Yeah. Like they're that type of player. So to surprise them with something like I'll have something that I've created. Like, in fact, I use these beast men and I described them and they thought, Oh, they're, they're like this thing. And when I was fighting them, they're like, wait a minute, they have that many hit points. I thought they only had like 50 hit points or something like that. So I always have to be careful with my group that I'm always throwing little curveballs in there that they don't know exactly my stuff's a little bit different. So this would be nice to have a whole nother book that none of them have read to go, Oh, what is this thing? Yeah. Oh, well, let me tell you about this thing that's ripping your head off at the moment. <laughs> Tomo Beast is great. So and I bought the other one too, <clears throat> Creature Codex. That's the next um, one I'm gonna get. They're they're both really good. Although I will warn you that the monsters in those seem to be a little tougher than the ones in the monster manual. So uh, if you do throw like three CR three creatures at them, monster manual they might have been fine. But Toma Beast, I feel like they're just a little more difficult. Uh, but yeah. they're really cool. really it's a, it's a good book. Like they did a good yeah. job with those two books. So. I also like that uh, one of the creators on here is Dan Dillon. Dan Dillon now works for Wizards of the Coast, which is cool. We've seen him transition over, so that's cool. And there's a bunch of cool people here. Chris Harris, Rodrigo Garcia, Wolfgang Bauer, and Steve Winter. All people, all names that are in kind of the Cobalt Press area doing cool stuff. And it's big. They didn't make a little monster manual. They made a 429-page monster. This is is worth the, the... the price of admission. <laughs> so, I think that's pretty good. So that that's going on great. If you want to come out and watch that on Monday nights, that's great. Um, we had some streaming difficulties with our browsers updated, and then I couldn't get um, Streamlabs to work, but I got all that fixed. We're ready to play again this Monday night. The players are excited, and they're about to get into the monastery and see what's going on, maybe stop this evil from happening. So that'll be super fun. I've also played on Wednesdays. Um, I play Tomb of Annihilation, so we had two sessions of that. That we're still in the portion where 
I'm um, in areas that I already know. So I take yeah. a back seat and make sure I don't give my players the hints or clues on my other party members. I let them kind of take the lead, but I'm really, really, really enjoying a seventh level war mage that I've created. I'm like really growing attached to this character. This might be my favorite character right now. It might've wow. taken the place of anything else because it's just so fun. A very elementalist feel to it. All the things I'm picking are either fire, lightning, or ice-based. Um, and we just hit seventh level. So I had to agonize over my spells to pick because I get two when you go up another level you get two more spells of, of the spell slot you get and I just hit the fourth level spell slot one of those so I had to look at the fourth level spells so my question was I took um summon minor elementals because I want to keep that elementalist kind of feel to my character but I broke a little bit of the mold here and I went polymorph as my second spell to take because I think it's such a cool fun spell to deal with but how is when Jordan levels up in that that level seven, level eight, or any character where you finally get to fourth level spells or fifth level spells, how long does it take you to pick your spells? Are you just like, I know exactly the ones I want and I pick the same ones for all my characters because I've already worked out what are the best spells to have? Do you go more thematic and make sure you're picking spells that match the character? How, how long does it take you to build? It to takes a while. Your neck? It takes yeah. a while. Like I, I overthink it a whole bunch. Um, and I, I, I will heavily always lean towards thematic spells. Like mm-hmm. what, what is, what am I trying to do? So if I'm a conjurer or wizard, I'm going to go for some kind of conjuring spell because mm-hmm. I want to keep with the theme of my wizard. Um, and if I'm a druid, if I'm a swamp druid, I'm going to go with the theme of my swamp druid and get like weird swampy, like talk to plants i don't know something something that's probably not super useful but i'm going to take all the well i guess with a druid you can just change them every time that you take a long rest but like with wizards Mm -hmm. and bards and things like that i'll usually go with uh thematic stuff like yeah yeah and like warlocks and and stuff yeah yeah, definitely definitely like things like that so um and i think about it a lot because like with my eldritch knight every time i got new spells i would like heavily overthink it um i'm to a point Mm -hmm. now with my eldritch knight that i kind of know the spells i'm going to take for the next like four or five levels if i ever get to that point Mm -hmm. but uh that's because i've like super agonized over it already and i'm just like no Mm -hmm. i really think it's going to be mage hand that's the next cantrip i'm going to get you know so yeah yeah i need a new cantrip i i messed myself up i took way too many spells that are concentration which Mm -hmm. is number one uh, they're all cool spells and I want them, but man, you can't have more than one at any given time. Yep. My only hope is I have one of those DMs that throws in a cool magic item that lets me do two concentration spells mm-hmm. or something. Other than that, I have no hope. I have to juggle what I want to keep concentration up on and drop this. And so it's fun for me to agonize through that, but I need, I picked a cantrip. That's my damaging cantrip. I picked bonfire, but that's concentration also. So that's really messing me up right now. And I don't get a new cantrip until level 10 maybe or it's a while before you get another wizard cantrip Mm -hmm. um you start with a good set but after that it doesn't change very much in that respect for the wizard um so i'm I'm waiting for my next one because i need a better i need a better cantrip so hopefully we hit eight and i gotta take my stat level or maybe a feature maybe a feat to get me what i need that Mm -hmm. might also happen 
um, to see. So those games are great. My Thursday night game, um, Horde of the Dragon Queen has canceled, which happens, you know, DMs, they start games, uh, players start games, the schedules start to get really wonky or it gets to be a lot to run a, a weekly game. And yeah. he was streaming it too, which is always feels like there's more pressure i think on you if you're gonna run a stream show because you feel like you have to run every week and you feel like you have to do these things and i think it puts extra pressure on you Mm -hmm. and i think it did for him too because he was a new dm so that one got canceled out so i got a freed up thursday slot that i'm have to start looking around do i want to play or do i want to dm something and if what it is what what do i want to dm because i i feel like three games a week was my good sweet spot. So that was what I had done. I'm looking forward to Monday and Wednesday coming up. I'm enjoying the characters I'm playing. I'm enjoying the games I'm running. I have good parties playing in them, which is really cool. But what about Jordan's gaming? I left you 10 minutes or (laughs) nine-ish, depending on how far you stretch it. Uh, What about Jordan's two weeks of gaming? I'm playing in a bx which is basic expert DD, a, a bx D game which is the original D um kind of i don't think it's updated so it's like 1970s 19 early 1980s or something um mm-hmm. i have to, I, I should know more about it um i've died twice and so now i'm on my third character uh and if you're <laughs> interested in that we stream on saturdays not this saturday because it's canceled because we had a bunch of people that couldn't make it but usually we stream on saturdays at I think uh, 2, 2 p.m. Anyway, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific, I think. But it's a really fun game, uh, and we're having a lot of fun with that. But the big news is I had my Wednesday night game, and it was my first uh, TPK. I killed everybody, uh, and I've never had this happen before. And uh, one person permanently died. Uh, because they failed their death saves, and so they're now making a new character. The rest of them were either stabilized or uh, got their death saves okay. Um, So now I have this... I don't know. I've got these dead people, these unconscious people that I think are going to become prisoners or something. But I, I have I have like a week and a half or so to kind of figure out like where I want to take the adventure. But uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh did not prepare me for... Uh, a tpk and now i kind of have to like make it up as i go which is really fun and exciting as a dungeon master but uh the interesting interesting fallout from this is (coughs) sorry the interesting fallout from this is you know your players are disappointed when this happens and a lot of times they start overanalyzing the game to be like, what exactly is, what caused this to happen? Like, what mm-hmm. what bad decisions did I make? What bad decisions did this? Was the DM just out to get us? Like, like what happened? Um, and from this, I have learned a really important lesson that I'm going to kind of try to tell a story and wrap that lesson into the end. Uh, my players died in this TPK by taking a short rest where they had used all of their rages, most of their spell slots. They basically didn't have anything left, so they should have taken a long rest, but it was still in the middle of the, uh, it was still too early to take a a long rest. So they decided to press on. They went and they met with uh, the enemy who didn't like straight up attack them, uh, but was talking back and forth, but they knew my players knew that these were the bad guys. They could just, like, sense it. And so knowing that these were the bad guys, they had the opportunity to attack them right there, but they decided to, like, try to convince them that they were 
on the same side. So I have these pirates that are smuggling things and they decided to be smuggling inspectors. And so they're like, well, I want to do a, a persuasion check to try to persuade them that we're on their side. And I'm like, well, okay. Like they kind of know that you're not because who has smuggling inspections like that, but okay, I'll let you, I'll let you roll. And so they rolled a really high persuasion check. And then my next player was like, well, I want to intimidate them so that they're scared of us so that they won't attack us. And I'm like, um, okay. Like they kind of know, sure. I guess you can roll an intimidation check. So he rolls an intimidation check and he does fairly high. Um, both of those checks weren't high enough in the DC that Jordan said in his brain to really conflict them to, 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 to turn the tables, I guess, to be like, oh yes, we absolutely believe your lie because you rolled a 20 or, you know, you rolled a, a 17 on your persuasion check or on your, uh, what is it called? Deceitful check. What am I thinking of? Deception. Deception. Thank you. On your deception check. Um, but at the same time, there were other things that happened in this haunted house that they're exploring that they, like, these guys know that they don't belong here. Like, they 100% know that they don't belong here. So because of that intimidation check, I was like, no, he's a little intimidated. They definitely don't want to fight you. So he says, why don't you come to me to this other room and we'll talk some more. And my players said, oh, okay, sure, we'll go with you. Well, the other room had two hobgoblin reinforcements. So now I had six against five players. And mm. that's when, like, I'm like, all right, let's lay everything on the table. I know that you guys aren't these inspectors. I know this. Um, I don't know what you're doing here, but I can't let you leave because you've seen too much. And a fight mm -hmm. happened. Uh, the fight did not go very well, obviously. <laughs> and we had a TPK. So one of my players was saying, I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't have gotten in that fight because we did really good with our our deception. And we did really good with our intimidation checks. And because of going back earlier, everybody's overanalyzing this fight and overanalyzing the situation because of the TPK. They would have had a great time if they had won, but because they didn't, they're just, they're kind of thinking like, what did we do wrong kind of a thing? And mm -hmm. I guess, so my whole point is that comes back on the dungeon master. Uh, was it my fault? Was it their fault? Who's really to blame? Should anybody be to blame? Is that just the game? But ultimately, I was thinking as a dungeon master, I always want to learn and I want to get, I want to take away from a situation and be like, what should I have done? And I think the problem, the mistake that Jordan made is don't allow or don't ask for roles when you know that they don't have a chance for success. And in their mind, they had a chance for intimidation as a success. And in my mind, I'm like, you really don't because they're kind of in control of this situation. You caught them off guard, but they're not going to believe you. Don't allow for a deception role when you they know that they, that they don't belong here. So I don't know. That was my takeaway from this is that you shouldn't ask for roles or allow roles when you know that there isn't a chance for success. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, what do you think about this crazy situation? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a few things jump out to me that I'm thinking if it's happening to me. One thing that I know has been a little bit of a DM pet peeve for me is when players try to say, I want to do a deception role. They don't let me decide when is it time to make a role and when is it not time to roll? They're just like, I want to make a deception role. So, and they just start rolling dice. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
what do you mean you're going to try to deceive? What are you going to try to see? No, I'm just going to make a deception roll and then they'll believe me no matter what it is. I don't even have to worry about what the lie is. I'm mm-hmm. like, and, and me, I'm thinking, no, no, no. Tell me what your lie is because I need to know if this is even going to be possible. And I thought number yeah, two Yeah, you can't was just be like, we're all clowns and I'm yeah. actually a bird. I'm going to roll a deception roll. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're a bird. Wow. Like that doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. So I always want to be very controlling of when we're going to make skill check rolls. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to call it after you tell me how you're going to try to do this thing. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to kind of tell me. Now, I get that we don't make the person who makes a strength check prove to us that they can do something strong. So why do we make the person who's going to be very charismatic, make the player try to be as charismatic as their character. But I do need you to explain to me, Hey, my character's really good at this. He's really persuasive. And the, the the thread I want to tie into this is this idea of, can he convince them of this thing or can she convince them this way and now i have something to work with and then i can decide yeah let's make a roll or let's not make a roll or whatever's going to happen the next thing that i thought was interesting is well we made a high roll so we should have succeeded but i'm, I'm thinking how do you know what a high roll is mm-hmm. like i have given a few of my players who've come up with crazy hey i'm on a flying dragon i'm holding on to it can i grab its wings and make it start to fly into the ground to damage itself. And I'm thinking, this is a crazy kind of thing. He's like, I want to make like an athletics check kind of thing. And I'm just going to steer this dragon into the ground that I'm riding, you know, anime style. <laughs> this has already gotten crazy, right? And I'm just thinking, okay, it's going to be a really high DC. And when yeah. I said that, in my mind, I said, you can roll whatever you want. You can have as many bonuses as you want. You can have as much help as you want. If you don't roll a natural 20, it ain't happening. Right. And like, so in my mind, you're sitting in your mind, you're like 20, 25 or 20. 27 is <laughs> yeah. how high you need to reach yeah. this. This Yeah. Time. Natural 20. That doesn't mean if you roll and I roll a 19, that's really good. That's not, that's not it. You're so. talking about doing impossible stuff or stuff that can't actually be done. So that was the next thing that I thought, but I do sympathize with the players because I've been in the, in the yeah. instance where my player character died. And then I look back and I look at the DM and I'm like, well, you railroaded me into that. How There was nothing else I could do to not have that happen. What was I supposed to do in that, you know, there was, I, I died. How, how, what? And if I don't feel like I had an avenue, if it's not clear that, okay, I had this choice and when I made it, that's what caused my death. If I can't point to that, then as a player and I've fallen prey to this, I start thinking, oh, my DM railroaded me or didn't give me a chance or give me the options or why didn't it give me a chance to run? Like nowhere in there was this, oh my God, this is going bad. We should just bail out. But my DM wasn't going to let me bail out. Like there there was nothing to do. So it's hard, I think, on both routes. But I think if we're players and characters, we all have to roll with the story. If the story doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go, as much as you love your character and you're enjoying what's going on, mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to say, you know what? That's life. Let's move on to the next thing. This is fun. This is super cool. Well, and That's that, how the tragic death happened. It's great. That was another thing is like the stakes have to be real. Like if you yeah. win all of the time, then there's no like tension for when 
you are in a situation like this. So that was another point that I brought up. And and they agree. Uh, and like I said, only one of them permanently died. He's rolling a new character. The rest of them are... It's just changing the story about how their future is going to act. But yeah, I don't know. I've been playing well, D&D for like four or five too. years, and this is my first TPK, so... Yeah. Yeah, so some are unconscious, and a dead character can be brought back. Correct. Yeah, so they level they're level two. Uh, so yeah. if they have his body and they can take him to a temple and they've got a bunch of money, they could potentially bring him back. But yeah. yeah. Or they could have somebody pay for it and then they owe somebody and that leads the story on mm. later because they owe a favor to somebody more powerful, which is what I've done in the past too. So even a death doesn't have to end everything. I think that's... That's the good. I'm sure you did this. I'm not saying you didn't, mm-hmm. but that's a great time to talk to your player and say, what do you want to do? Yeah. If you really want, if this character is your favorite character and you don't want, like if your wife's character died and you're like, don't worry, the party's going to get you, resurrect you. It, we can continue on. We're still going to have a cool story. Um, I always like to have that for my players too. So there's usually something that can happen, but I try to talk them into let that character die and do a new one because that's cool too. That's, mm-hmm. that's just, fun and that's a great story to tell also so yeah so that was it uh Ah. i learned something um it was an experience (laughs) it was a lot of fun and i think i mean that's the whole point of the show is just how do we become better dungeon masters and how do you learn from your mistakes and learn from situations and things like that like what what did we make the right call did we not make the right call like things like that um and that's about it i probably won't be playing D for a little bit so maybe lucian and i can think of something to do on thursday night i don't know maybe i'll try to throw together a one shot or something because uh oh, be fun. people are getting married and other stuff is happening so like my D group is a little uh, uh in flux at the moment but anyway mm-hmm. that's our show ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for Yay. watching uh we will see you next week with another episode of the saturday morning D show until then keep dming leave itunes reviews and uh go be awesome dungeon masters so yeah uh we will see you next week bye everybody bye Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.